Welcome. I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And today on my 23rd episode, we have co-founder of Pro Prep Academy and linebacker for the Montreal Alouettes, Mr. DJ Lalama. What's going on, brother? What's going on, Gies? Good to be here, man. Awesome. Good to have you. I'm excited. Buddy, we go way back. I think 2009, I was a member of the provincial team staff for, I think it was U17 at that time. You uh, were a linebacker on our team, uh, on that squad. So, you know, we, we've known each other for quite a while. But uh, in terms of the audience here, I'd love for you to talk about your childhood and your background growing up in Winnipeg. Sure. I mean, obviously, uh, Winnipeg is is one degree of separation. Um, so obviously our, our paths have crossed multiple times. Uh, but growing up here in the city, my entire extended family actually is from Southern Ontario. So really quickly sport, you know, my friends, they, they kind of became that extension of my family here. And um, sport is definitely what kind of kept me on the straight and narrow, you know, right from an early age. Um, grew up playing soccer. Uh, my dad's Italian, played soccer his entire life. I uh, quickly realized that when the jerseys were starting to get too small early on, that it probably wasn't the sport for me. Um, hockey, obviously, being Canadian, um, you know, that was something that I played all the way through. Um, you know, played played decent, decently high level there, um, kind of all the way through AA, AAA, high school. Um, but again, you know, football, it, it basically was me playing football on skates, actually, if I'm being honest. Um, Bob Molly, uh, as we know, Winnipeg Blue Bomber, great. Uh, he was actually one of my first hockey coaches yeah, and, cool. you know, maybe for the days of hitting and, and all that, you know, we're going through basically different drills and I think it was like 8A1 or, or some, some young age or, or seven something. Sure. And uh, he, he kind of goes, Hey, he's like, comes up to me and my dad after practice one day and he's like, Hey, um, you ever tried or like thought about football? Mm-hmm. And my dad, like right away, you know, a little like, no, 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 he's not playing football kind of thing. And, and Bob goes, no, no, like he basically plays football on skates. So maybe we should just put him in cleats and get him to do the same thing. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, my introduction to the game of football at seven years old, um, thanks to Bob. And, and obviously, I mean, here we are 20 years later, I'm still playing the game, still super passionate about it. But Winnipeg's a great place. Um, being a multi-sport athlete, you meet a lot of great people, a lot of coaches that can influence you in positive ways. Um, a lot of kids that you can learn from. Um, you know, I, I remember playing hockey with, you know, actually Jesse Pollock, who now is wow. the the biggest, you know, Winnipeg, pro Winnipeg fan on TSN, the history of TSN. Um, Michael St. Croix, um, you know, son of Rick St. Croix, who played in the NHL for a long time. And, I mean, Mike himself was a, a great WHL player in his day. There's just so many different people that you meet along the way. And, and I think that's all kind of helped shape me into not only the the athlete, I guess, or or, or the coach, but, but definitely the person. And um, I think it definitely holds true that it takes a village to, to raise a child. And again, without having my extended family here, Winnipeg and many people from the community definitely had their hand in um, shaping who I am. That's so awesome to kind of talk about just a strong uh, sports culture we have here in Winnipeg. But uh, getting into football, you know, you talk about Bob Molly kind of directing you into football, but what was your first experience with the game? When did you start playing football? Yeah, I think, and again, I, I'm trying not to age myself here, but I think 20 years ago, I was seven years old. Um, you know, again, didn't really watch football, didn't really, you know, understand it all that much, if I'm being honest. Um, but yeah, Bob was like, hey, come out, you know, come play with his son, Sean. And 
um, you know, the four Gary Lions. And um, back in the day, you know, Mitch Piasecki, um, mm-hmm. so so Coach Piasecki was my head coach and um, just a bunch of good people and came out. And again, I was just trying to learn. And back then they actually, they, so they put Mitch and, and I in the backfield at like seven years old. We were probably the same size as we were in grade nine as we were <laughs> in grade seven. And um, Mitch was my fullback and I was a running back. So I just remember like getting the ball, being pretty big, uh, decently good athlete, and basically just running behind Mitch or walking behind Mitch because of how many holes he would create. And um, it became really fun and obviously early on as a young kid, touching the ball and, you know, being able to make an impact and, and seeing the score and like doing all that early on just kind of showed, hey, like this is this is pretty cool. Um, it's nice to kind of get that recognition kind of immediately in something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I loved it kind of from my first onset of, of trying it out and big shout out to, again, the four gay Lions, Blair Schapansky, you know, Coach Piasecki and, and the entire crew to, to keep me uh, engaged and, and, and taught me a lot of what I know now. And then from playing for the Fort Gary Lions, you go to St. Paul's High School and have, have a pretty good successful career playing football there and going to school. Can you talk about that experience? My, my parents, again, grew up in Southern Ontario. Um, they both went to Catholic schools. Um, obviously, I'm a Roman Catholic myself. And out there, it's not really public-private. Um, it, it's just kind of like, do you want to go to a Catholic school or not? Um, obviously, it's different here in Manitoba. And um, I went to a private or a Catholic school my entire life. Um, so it was kind of something that my parents wanted me to kind of follow. Um, they gave me the option, obviously wrote the exam, got admitted. And don't get me wrong. A lot of my friends, obviously from St. Ignatius were going there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, from a sports standpoint, unfortunately, I think I was the lone for Gary Lyon that made my way over. Um, back in the day, everyone decided to go to Oak Park. Um, so I was already, I guess, hated and, and, and enemy number one, um, from that group. Uh, but nonetheless, um, went there. Um, and, and I think from an education standpoint, it really woke me up. Um, you know, for a long time, sports is what got me by and, you know, being a decent athlete comes with its own share of perks. And I don't think I need to articulate that, you know, you, you often have it a little easier than everyone else. Um, cause people want to help you out. Um, but when you're in a system like that, which is definitely preparing you for post-secondary education, a lot of those kind of finite details uh, when it comes to your academics really start to shine through, you know, discipline, um, you know, not being able to play sport unless you submit assignments on time, not being able to play sports unless you have a certain grade point average, not being able to, you know, play sports if you miss a class. Mm-hmm. Um, all these things kind of created a, a, a regiment or a discipline system for me um, that really held me to a higher standard, um, which kind of in turn made me focus on those things that I needed to focus on to make sure that, hey, if I want to go somewhere in sport, you know, I got to take care of my exes and O's first in the classroom. And um, St. Paul's definitely kind of instilled that in me. Not going to say it's easy, not going to say that it was or or is for everyone. Um, but where I was at my life, that discipline definitely helped. Um, Coach Gaynard, obviously, you know, Dom Contafio kind of teaching me the game, um, switching me to linebacker, never had played it before. Um, Stacy basically said, Hey, uh, unless you're under 215 pounds, you're not playing running back for me. And I think I came to training camp at like 217 or 218. He's like, yeah, you're a linebacker. And, uh, he takes all the credit in the world now, but he deserves it. And I mean, it's a great program. It's a great school. Um, you know, just in terms of the network now and, um, you know, everything else that, you know, I guess that school taught me from a, just being a man for others and, and being a good person. Um, I hope that I'm able to kind of carry that through, whether it's on the football field or, or elsewhere in the community. 
I love how you speak about the discipline and kind of accountability that goes, you know, into attending St. Paul's and just what you said in terms of needing to hand in your assignments on time and being accountable and showing up and none of the kind of nonsense that kind of does actually go on a lot in public schools. And unfortunately, in those programs, a lot of times coaches, they want to win football games. So kids are playing kind of regardless sometimes. Just growing up, I I played with a lot of St. Paul's guys as well. Uh, A lot of guys, when I came out in 2000, there was a lot of St. Paul's guys. So I became close to a lot of those guys. And you know, I could see the, you mentioned the networking and all the positives there. There's there's a whole lot of great that goes into uh, St. Paul's High School. So that's pretty cool. But what about your football experience there? You Did you play four years of football at St. Paul's? How did that work? Yeah, you know what? So again, uh, I guess things have changed now with the JV League and everything. Mm-hmm. But back then, you know, everyone in the city basically said, hey, like our grade nine years, we're just going to play like club football. Right. Um, right. So I remember actually back in the day, Dembski and I used to train together and I mean, shoot, we still do, but um, it was like, hey, are you going to play Broncos one more year? Okay, if you do, I'm going to play, you know, Lions one more year. Okay. Um, Because, again, none of those guys could go to Oak Park until grade 10. Right. Um, So, basically, it was like, all right, like, everyone's staying at the club level. I'm going to stay at the club level. And, um, obviously, you know, it was a a great – it was a great time, um, you know, playing against those guys. And, again, obviously, Dembski and I, you know, being really close, it – you know, just another kind of bunch of games that we can chalk up for, for the memories now. But um, playing against a guy like that on on a continuum definitely made me a better player. Um, but, yeah, going into St. Paul's, um, started in grade 10. Again, thought I was going to be a running back as I was in club. Um, learned really quickly that uh, didn't meet the, the, the weight restrictions and, and the OTA assignments. So, shoot, I wasn't playing running back anymore. And, um, Dom Cantafio, so they put me on uh, the tier two senior team, I guess. Yeah. Um, back in the day, the double A team. Right. They basically threw me at middle linebacker, and Dom Cantafio basically taught me everything I know. Um, first time playing the other side of the ball, um, as Jason Park would allude to, um, took me a while to learn how to read counter. Um, probably still working on that if you ask Dan Pierre, but that's, nonetheless. That's a linebacker. <laughs> Typical linebacker, so learned a lot. And then obviously grade 11 and 12, was able to make the jump and, and start on the varsity team. And um, I mean, I, I think you remember, but I remember my grade 11 year there, just how competitive the Winnipeg High School Football League was. Yes. Um, I mean, you had Thomas Miles and Evan Gill at Churchill. You had Coombs, LaFrance, Marsh gets Sturgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you obviously had Dembski and, and Bone and all those guys at Oak Park. Right. Tyler Vieira at Sisler. Uh, ben Allen at, at Calvin, like Calvin, there, yeah. there was so many good quality football players and, and programs in the city. Um, I feel like really fortunate to be a part of uh, of a group like that. Because um, again, every game was a game and you don't always see that at the high school level these days. No, it's very true. And then how about, uh, you know, we talked about our connection with provincial teams. So you played provincial team for a couple of years. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Definitely, you know, different and, and unique. Um, I can't say, I mean, I've been on tons of sport tournament trips or, or, you know, spring hockey teams, but the provincial team, just representing your province, having the opportunity to truly compete against the best players in the country, um, you know, you know, getting to check out a, a campus, seeing what that university kind of atmosphere is like, um, obviously having all of the coaches in one place. Um, you need to be on your game both on and off the field, you know, 24-7 because, again, you never know who's watching. And I think it allowed me to grow up pretty fast. Um, luckily, I was in a leadership role there, so um, not that we did all that well. Um, but being able to, again, 
be respected by your peers and, and lead by example. Um, I think every kid wants to have that opportunity um, in doing so with, with obviously our, our flag, you know, and, and representing our colors. Um, that really meant a lot. And, you know, for me, again, it was just a way to represent all the goodwill that happens in this province, happens in the sport of football here locally. And um, again, obviously we wish um, we would have done better on the football field, but learning from other coaches, other players, you know, putting your best foot forward there and, and playing against the best, um, you know, was fantastic. I mean, I still remember Tyler Varga and I going head to head and against Team Ontario. And, you know, I think it was like five months after that, we, we committed to Western together and we're roommates. Um, so it's, it's crazy how small football really is. Um, and, and again, it was just a great opportunity to, to play football at the highest level and, um, again, get, get seen, I guess. We didn't do very well, and you know the, maybe I got a part in that. But uh, but you were a tackling machine. That's what I remember. I remember just you tackling everybody. It just didn't matter what was going on. You were just in there, right? So you know your talent showed through. You know even though we didn't have the greatest showing. Um, what about like the the tight schedule of the Canada Cup? I think like there's something about that that I think you know obviously it's super intense. You know you're playing three games in a very short window of time. Um, there's a lot going on. Like you said, coaches are watching you. There's not a lot of downtime. Do you think that that is kind of like a little microcosm of what coaches are looking for in terms of recruiting players? That's a, that's a great perspective, actually. Um, you know, I'll be first and foremost honest. If you ask me to play three football games in the span of six days right now at 27, yeah. I would say absolutely not. You can't pay me enough. Right. Um, that's uh, I don't know how we did that. Mm -hmm. um, but from a non-physical standpoint, right. uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think mini camps, training camps, two days, um, you know, those are things that are obviously intertwined with with football, you know, and at every level. Right. And I think being able to again deal with the, the stress um, of traveling and, and new arrangements and, and different schedules and, and trying to adapt and, and kind of overcome any of those obstacles mm -hmm. um, to ultimately kind of put your best foot forward and not only for yourself but for your province. I think it does show a lot, you know, in terms of that discipline, you know, who's dialed in, who's there for a good time, you know, who's really, you know, someone that we can see representing our program, both on and off the field. And again, you know, uh, I like to use Evan Gill, you know, honestly, back then, you know, he was kind of the the elder statement, the, the captain of the captain, so to speak. And, you know, he's a guy that obviously we got along great and he definitely kind of paved the way and he, and he showed what it meant to be a pro and, and how to prepare early on. And he'd been around that his entire life. So being able to see that firsthand, experience it firsthand, you know, I'd like to think that he and I both, and along with many others from our team were able to showcase ourselves in a positive light, even though uh, the score didn't always represent that. And, you know, kind of funny story about speaking of Evan Gill, I'm thinking back to uh, to that 20, I think it was 2010 when we were in Wolfville. And, uh, yep. you know, I think we'd already played our first game. Obviously, we didn't do so well. And we were, the next day we had, we had the next game coming. And, and you and Evan were uh, in the evening looking for, for some defensive coaches that were out having a few bevies. Uh, I'm, I'm the, lone, uh, the lone wolf. I'm always uh, just, you know, prepping for my game. So I'm sitting in the dorm room and I'm preparing. You guys find me and you... We ended up having a kind of a cool moment, uh, just sitting in the dorm, talking to one another, kind of learning from, you know, about each other. Because obviously, I was an offensive coach and didn't know you guys super well. But uh, you know, I remember I remember that and kind of you know trying to give you some wisdom. But you guys were you guys were awesome guys, and it was uh, it was a very cool time. It meant something to me. So 
it's funny to you know talk about Evan and yourself like that and kind of reminisce from you know 11 12 years ago now it's crazy actually I, I still think to this day in that six week span he and I must have been that Tim Horton's number one customer in a week span <laughs> Uh, that guy loves his ice caps, but I think, yeah, it just, it gives you an opportunity to bond, right? As, mm-hmm. as, as brothers, as, as teammates, um, obviously picking your brain and, and other coaches' brains, I think you can definitely take advantage of that kind of atmosphere and environment to, to get better. Um, and, and I think for us, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but for us, it was a business trip, mm-hmm. you know, and we wanted to get the most out of the, the six or seven days that we could to put ourselves in the best, you know, light possible for, for coaches to see. Um, you know, again, uh, obviously there's there's plays or, or situations that you wish you could do better on in hindsight. But I think overall, you know, the two of us and, you know, the coaching staff, I think you guys did a great job of just putting us in positions to be successful. And um, hopefully he and I made a good, you know, impression and, and a lasting imprint on, on the provincial team as a whole. Back at it for the second quarter with DJ Lalama. You ended up making a decision to choose Western after your high school career at St. Paul's was over. Can you take me through the recruiting process and kind of, you know, maybe other schools that you were interested in and what led to your decision to, to decide to go to Western? Sure. Um, so I, I guess the onset of the recruiting process for me actually happened after that first Canada Cup that you've alluded to a couple of times now, 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actually McMaster had reached out uh, the Frank Estesi, actually the linebacker coach there, kind of made a nice little recruiting pitch and said, "Hey, we'd love to keep you in Maroon for you know for your post secondary too." And um, that kind of started things off. And again, um, kind of being a, I guess like the first athlete, you know, in that situation there um, in my family, I didn't really know how to handle it. It was cool at the time, and and actually became pretty stressful, um, if I'm being honest with you. And obviously, it peaked again, Canada Cup 2010. Um, I believe I was named an all-star and I think I won defensive MVP every game and um, there started to be a lot more traction, a lot more communication, um, you know, setting up visits, et cetera. And, um, you know, yes, it's exciting. Yes, obviously, I think every kid out there, I mean, you want to hear the words we want you or, you know, see you in a you know, photoshopped version of, of someone else in the jersey. And um, that that's all good and well. And I think you can get a little... Um, overwhelmed with the situation and I think at times I definitely did um just so worried about that and oh who's watching today you know what coaches are there and and how I play and I mean before I start I think it's just worry about you you know kind of put those blinders on a little bit and if you're good enough they'll find you you don't need to go out of your way to to do anything I know you know times have changed and huddle and and film and all this is different but Mm -hmm. you know even on social media I mean if your film speaks loud enough, I mean, you're going to get found. And I think that's where kids should ultimately, you know, put their attention and energy is just becoming the best person, student and and athlete they can be. Um, But for me, yeah, I mean, after Canada Cup, basically it was, you know, some schools were, um, you know, showing the most interest. Uh, McMaster, Western, Calgary, uh, U of M, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, UBC was up there. Queens was up there. And, you know, a couple of smaller schools in the States. Um, but my dad, you know, right away, they were like, Hey, unless it's a full ride kind of thing. I mean, we're not enough financial situation to be able to afford that. Um, so pretty quickly turned to basically Canada, uh, took a visit out to McMaster. Absolutely loved it. My entire family's from 20 minutes outside of Hamilton. So, um, definitely partial to the location. Um, just being able to be around there and 
maybe having some family come and, and watch games. Um, took my visit to Western, I believe, the weekend after. And uh, funny enough, actually, Mickey Donovan was the, the defensive coordinator there, who's now my special teams coordinator in Montreal. And um, we hit it off right away. And, and I already had three cousins that were currently enrolled at Western. And I think two of my aunts and uncles and a couple other cousins had already been and um, definitely spoke fondly of their time in London, specifically Richmond Row. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it was it, like you felt the family atmosphere. You felt like, hey, like this is actually like a U.S. Um, kind of environment to play football in right. and you know seeing their facilities and, and you know seeing like 15,000 people at a university football game um, just not something you see every day here in Western Canada and you know pretty quickly they had the educational program I wanted to study and a dual degree and and all this so um, I think my mom fell in love with Mickey more than I did and <laughs> uh, got back I you know talked to my family and it was a pretty easy decision uh, I actually called Queens, you know, UBC, Calgary and said, hey, I won't be taking my visits anymore and um, I'd like to commit to Western and part of that too was again, uh, Canada Cup, keep coming back, there's a, there's a lot of uh, synergies there but uh, Varga, myself, we basically had like a, call it like an all-star team group chat okay. uh, back in the day and, you know, we're all like, oh, like where's everyone going and I'm um, trying to figure all this out and, you know, it was like Western, you know, Peter Gray, Western. Um, Tyler Vargo Western and I'm like shoot you know maybe I should go to Western too and yeah. uh, I think there was I think there was it was something like nine out of you know 24 you know all-stars from that Canada Cup ended up committing to Western in that recruiting class and uh, I mean it was just crazy to be a part of um, but obviously I mean there was a ton of excitement you know both personally through my family um, just just to be part of a great program like that and obviously play under Greg Marshall. Absolutely. You know, I can speak to the atmosphere and just the stadium and the, the facilities, too, because uh, I want to say it was the next year, 2011. Obviously, that was the year you went. But I think Canada Cup that year was in London. Uh, it was yeah. either that, that or 2012. But uh, regardless, I've, I've been to the facilities and very, you know, at that point, state of the art. And like you said, like lots of people were in the stadium, even for the Canada Cup, they had filled it. It, it was a pretty cool atmosphere. Uh, so I can understand, you know, the, the attraction to it. And obviously with your family background too, that makes total sense. How about once you were on campus, like what was the adjustment like to just university life, not living at home with mom and dad, going to school and, and balancing, you know, school and football? For sure. Again, getting closer to Nona, uh, she would actually give me, uh, <laughs> she'd basically give me, uh, all my laundry, she would do it for me. This okay. isn't even a lie. Okay. Uh, so I, I like the, the hour and a half, drop off the laundry over the weekend. She'd do it all for me. And then she'd give me this big care package, you know, full of like homemade meatballs, sausages, like the whole nine yard. So I was basically running like a DeLuca's out of my uh, dorm room in, in <laughs> London. Um, but no, I mean, that, that was kind of a unique experience, obviously. Um, being with Varga, uh, being his roommate, I mean, I'll be honest, to this day, I've never met someone just as brilliant as him. Um, just a, a full-blown academic. The kid could do whatever he wanted to do. Any sport he wanted to try, he was good at it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could pick up a textbook and recite it to you in like two hours. I still, like, I don't understand. Uh, the only thing I was better at than him was video games back in the day. And um, he definitely kept me on the straight and narrow and, and really actually helped kind of show, hey, like, studying habits. Like, what do they look like, you know? You know, being social is one thing and, and having a good time, but you always have to be able to come back and make sure that, again, you're, you're disciplined and you're accountable for what you're there for. 
Um, so he and his family were really instrumental in that. They, they basically became my family while I was there and, um, definitely, you know, put me in better positions than I probably would have found myself in if I was just being one of the football guys and making, you know, London my home for all it could be. Um, but I think beyond that, it was just the structure of the program. You know, everyone was a family, you know, they, they respected you as a person, um, obviously on campus there, you know, wearing the purple track suits, it, it meant something, which again, felt cool. It was different. Um, couple keggers that were way different than anything I experienced here in Winnipeg, I can tell you that much. Um, but just a, a good time, a great experience, um, lots of learning, a lot of figuring out who I was as a person. Um, you know, academics, they hit you in the face, no matter how prepared you think you are, because mm-hmm. um, they don't care anymore. It's you're one of 500 and either you keep up or you get left behind and um, definitely an adjustment period, but one I'm thankful that I that I was able to have. I just love the honesty about, you know, the fact that once you get to university, it's like, it's for real now, right? Like, you know, you come from a really strong background in terms of your education at St. Paul's. And even with all that knowledge, it's not easy just to step in and, and do the university work. Also, for those listeners uh, that don't know who Tyler Varga is, stud running back from Ontario, was uh, in the NFL, played for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, so that, that's who DJ is referring to. So after that first year, DJ, there's a little bit of a change in coaches. You decide you, uh, you're you going to come home and, and play for the U of M. What led to the decision to return home, and how did Coach Doby get you back? I think first and foremost, so um, Mickey Donovan needed to take a leave of absence from the program for personal matters. And, I mean, as much as I love the program, um, you know, Bert, Chris Patoya was still a coach there. And, I mean, again, he's a, he's a guy that I have the utmost respect for. But, you know, I signed there to play for Mickey Donovan on defense and, you know, the way that he wanted to use me. And um, with him leaving, it kind of just created a void, you know. Um, Greg Marshall's the OC, Bert was the running game coordinator. On defense, I felt a little lost. And, you know, I tried it, you know, over the course of the offseason workouts, wasn't really working out the way I wanted to in terms of how I thought I would fit in with the with the new coach that they brought back. Um, again, learned a lot, but I could tell quickly that I wasn't necessarily fitting in um, maybe the way I had initially fit in with a different coaching staff. Okay. And, you know, when that came to shove, I mean, we all know what sports can do for, for the mind and, and the soul. And um, school's already hard and, you know, having the stress of not feeling like you fit in the way that you thought you were. Um, added to that and um, speaking with my family again it was all right if this isn't for me there's got to be something else out there and you know I kind of opened up my recruiting uh, process again Um, so I remember actually Carlton was just getting a team so Steve Samara flew me out and you know they kind of wanted to make me one of the faces Um, you know obviously talking back with Blake Nill at Calgary and um, they were really the the leader for a long time just in terms of where I thought I would end up Um, I think beyond that, though, I mean, home is home. Right. And I kind of took it for granted going through high school. Oh, Bisons are always going to be there. You know, it's not cool. It's, you know, it's it, it's just the program you've always known. You know, there's so much more out there. And um, definitely racked up some serious uh, long-distance minutes talking to Coach Dovey, as you can imagine. Uh, he still owes me for that phone bill or, or a couple months worth. But um, just, just yeah, I mean, that that's where it started. And um, came home, you know, once I was in Winnipeg again and, and talked to guys like Gil and, and Thomas Miles and Coombs and Keenan and all the guys that were already there mm-hmm. um, and Dembski who had a good experience. It was like, all right, like we're doing this as local Winnipeggers trying to put, you know, Bisons back on the map. And, you know, we all kind of collectively did that. And, and that was our goal and our mission. And 
Um, obviously, we fell short later on in my Bison's career, but that was what got me back and, and ultimately had me choose Bison's over UFC. And, um, you know, UFC beat us a lot, um, but we definitely beat them when it counted, I think, near the end of my career. And, um, it, you know, it was a decision that Coach Dovey uh, definitely supported. You know, he was transparent. The team, they supported it. Um, and definitely uh, choosing U of M was definitely a, a huge um, huge feather in my cap once the CFL came came calling. Oh, it's funny talking about Coach Doby and him just being long-winded. Anybody that knows Coach Doby, you know, knows how great of a guy he is and just how much he can talk. And funny to talk about the phone bill and whatnot. So back in the day, right before all this technology and stuff for recruiting, Coach Doby actually would come to your house and, and recruit you and, and show up. So I remember he came over. It was about seven o'clock at night, and. Uh, you know, he was there and we talked and we talked. And my dad's a talker too. So Coach Doby and my dad were yucking it up. And, you know, I think it was about 1130 at night and Coach Doby's still sitting in the living room talking to me. So, you know, he can definitely go forever. So that's that's too funny. But, uh, you know, how about your Bison career? So then, you know, you played for the Bisons for the, for the remainder of your university career. Uh, kind of speak on those moments and what you remember about that time. Um, I think the best way to describe it is just a roller coaster. Um, you know, I came back, signed up. I remember, you know, training camp, learning a new system. I mean, Stan Pierre system is not something you learn in one training camp. Um, probably took me three years to learn it, but nonetheless, um, put my best foot forward. And again, we were loaded at linebacker. I mean, we had Thomas Hall, we had Thomas Miles, we had Bami Adewale, myself. Um, like we, we were very strong in that department and, and I knew defense wasn't going to be something I played right away. And, you know, being a decent enough athlete, I figured, hey, I'm going to make my mark on special teams. Um, so I remember actually my first game, we flew out to UBC. I think I had four special teams tackles in the first quarter. Nice. Um, and really just kind of start, you know, you want to prove yourself to your teammates. For sure. And, you know, then uh, second quarter comes around and I'm making a tackle. And as I went to push off, I, I remember my hamstring just going. Oh. Um, and I'm like, all right, so, you know, on crutches, here we go. Um, you know, some adversity and, you know, I'll be honest in hindsight, I probably didn't handle it all that well. I just kind of sheltered myself and was like, Oh, like, what was me? Like, why? Like I'm finally back home and playing and, you know, all this happens and there's some miscommunication, you know, some, um, specialists thought I was going to be done for the year. You know, they were like, Hey, like this is at least a six to eight week, like good hamstring strain, like yeah. just focus on next year. Some thought that I could still play. Um, and at that point I was just, I was going through a lot mentally, right? First time really dealing with an injury and um, I kind of just needed my space. And and again, Coach Dovey um, graciously kind of let me be. And he's like, hey, like take as much time as you need. You know, if, if you want to come back or if this is whatever, like we're here, um, but do what you need to do. And at that point I was at a crossroads and I'm like, maybe football isn't for me, you know, doing the school thing. And, and I always wanted to do law school and, mm-hmm. Obviously, law school and football schedules don't necessarily align. Um, and, and I, you know, I took some time and I remember February of that first offseason. I'm like, hey, you know what? Like, I want to finish what I started. Like, you know, I didn't put all this work in for football to kind of just hang it up on a fluke injury. Um, so came back, you know, same sort of thing. Had to, again, gain that respect to the locker room again because I'd been away, uh, even though I was still part of the team. Um, and I just needed to prove to myself I could still do it and prove to them that I was someone that could be relied upon. Um, so going into my second year, again, special teams was the name of the game. Um, I believe I finished with like 40 special teams tackles in, in seven games. Um, like, you know, I, I wanted to prove to, to them that I was capable of holding my own and, and contributing. And 
Um, moving into that third year, um, obviously my first year as a starter with Thomas Miles moving on to the Toronto Argos. Um, so, you know, learning a lot and um, making my fair share of mistakes, um, but having Stan Pierre there and, and a great roster of guys to learn from. Um, and then my fourth year um, is the year that we made the run. And, you know, going through that experience and obviously being underdogs at four and four and winning in crazy fashion in Sask and then, yeah. you know, going to Calgary and causing Buckley to have 10 turnovers and um, going to Montreal. I mean, it was just, it, it was a great experience. Um, I still remember, you know, Yancey and I getting back and having a couple beers, watching, watching the game type for the first time. And we're like, man, we were that close, you know, that close to really putting Bison's back on the map and, and, and winning a venue. Cause I think if we would have won that game, we, we actually would have won. I, I firmly believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just the ups and downs, um, you know, it really kind of grows your character and, and it teaches you, you know, there's more to life than football, right? It's a it's a microcosm of life, um, but how you handle those stressors, how you handle the ups and downs, is is ultimately how you're going to be judged. You know, how your character is going to be defined. And um, didn't always go well. Um, definitely didn't start well. But I'd like to think that you know by the end of my time there, or at least what I thought was the end of my time there, um, I left that program better than I found it. Again, I love just talking about the struggle and kind of being at that crossroads because I think. What I've learned in the past, I've made emotional decisions before that, you know, looking back, probably weren't good decisions. In fact, probably most decisions that I've made in my life that were based on emotion were bad decisions, right? So you you only learn that through going through life. But I think when you're at that crossroad point, I think a lot of times it's like, okay, I could just give this up or I could push through. And if you're willing to push through, I think you're just like it's like that moment that can really kind of accelerate things if you're just willing to kind of push through like you're really close it's just sometimes like you're going to face that adversity but i just love how you speak about just keep going and and how it you know relates to your character and who you are um i think i think the biggest thing there really and you know there'll be more on it later on but you know that was the first time where you know again like being a highly recruited or, or recruited prospect you know the light's always on people always saying how good you are and you know, for the first full calendar year, it's like, you're just another guy, right? You're just a number, another number. Um, you're not, you know, the, the starter anymore. You're not, you know, on the top of the totem pole. And again, I think everyone goes through those adjustments in their own way. Um, but for me, it was like the first time where I really had to bet on myself. Cause if I couldn't even do that, why would anybody else kind of bet on me? And, you know, that's really where that kind of started from. And again, you know, put the best version of you forward every day. And, and ultimately the team will have better success because of it. Um, and then who knows who's watching at that point. Right. And speaking of who's watching, you ended up getting kind of a really cool opportunity to uh, go and spend some time with the New York Giants. Can you talk about that experience? And like, did you did you get to meet Eli Manning and Odell Beckham? Like, did you see those guys? Like, talk about that. It, yeah, I mean, definitely a, a wild experience. Um, I actually remember getting a call from my agent. I was just about to uh, to head to Niagara Falls to visit my family. Okay. And uh, just like kind of packing up, putting everything in the suitcase. And my agent calls and he's like, hey, what are you doing next? Like whatever, next week. And I'm like, I don't know, training. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he's like, all right, well, uh, you're going to Giants camp. I'm like, what? He's like, you're going, you're going to mini camp, uh, New York Giants. And I was kind of like shook at first. I'm like, yeah. no way. Like this is surreal. And like just a Winnipeg kid, um, you know, throw, throw the big asterisks here. It paid off playing behind David Onimata. For four years and sure. <laughs> I think his film probably did me a favor or two but um, nonetheless I mean super excited about the opportunity my agent got that done 
uh, flew out there. And I mean, I think there was like eight Canadians. Okay. Um, so it was really unique going through that process together, you know, Taylor Loeffler, um, Terrell Davis, um, uh, who else was out there? Um, Philip Gagnon, a teammate of mine now. Um, there was like, there's a good group of us okay. and it was really unique to, to be able to have that experience. And I remember walking in and yeah, I mean, you see the Eli Mannings and, and the Rashad Jennings and Odell and all their locker and how many cleats they have and, and all this stuff. And you're like, holy smokes. And you get further in there and like their equipment room is like the size of St. Paul's. Like <laughs> you walk, it's like, Oh, you want this kind of Nike? Okay. You got to go to like the back to the left and then take another left and you can get that shoe. And if you want the other shoe, you got to go here. And I'm in like, just you're like what like i remember being to the bisons in a freaking trailer and like here you are like in this crazy spectacle of of football um so that happened you meet steve spagnola the the dc um just crazy to hear him talk football and and his experiences and um i actually sat beside so bj goodson was their linebacker draft pick that year and uh, out of clemson and uh we were both like the two undersized linebackers and um, we kind of sat together and I was just watching him. I'm like, Hey, if they drafted him and we're kind of like the same stature, like I'm just going to follow him sure. and kind of went out and, and did everything we needed to do. And chefs are cooking for you. Custom. It was just crazy. You felt like you're like on cloud nine and, um, you get out on the football field. And I remember like after the first day, like, Hey, like you're, you're pretty athletic. Like, you know, you're smart. I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, but you're small. And I was like, for the first time that like really clued in, I'm like, man, like I am like really small in comparison to what yeah. these other linebackers are. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve Spagnuolo goes, have you ever played safety? And I'm like, nope, I don't think I've backpedaled a day in my life, but yeah. I'm willing to try. Yeah. Uh, they put me out there, took a, you know, a couple of one twos with Taylor Loeffler and trying to teach me a, a real <laughs> quick thing or two about how to play safety. And I'm like, this is the wrong camp to be trying a new position. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, a great experience. Um, basically, that's what it was. It was I was I was too small. I mean, I was too small. I was too light. Um, obviously, you know, wasn't as experienced as some of those guys are playing in big time schools, big time moments, and um, great learning experience. Uh, but I definitely think it served well for you know the CFL training camp and and what to expect from uh, from pro football moving forward. Yeah, such a cool experience, man. It's awesome that you got to you got to do that. And then. So after you return home, you're shortly then after you're drafted by Edmonton. Mr. Irrelevant, that's all I go by. <laughs> that's that's two weeks in a row. Buckley was uh, Buckley was Mr. Irrelevant as well. So that's funny. So talk talk about that. What was draft day experience like for you and your family being picked up by the Edmonton Eskimos? Yeah, I mean it, it was a whirlwind. Um, so actually flying back, I flew out of Buffalo and or sorry, I flew into Buffalo and then drove back to Niagara Falls and we actually spent it all together there in southern Ontario draft night. Um, so again it was like, you know, big Italian family, both sides of the family, we're all sitting down there and you know, coming off that high of experiencing an NFL camp and, you know, kinda like, Hey, like I'm ready for pro football and um getting excited and you start really paying attention to the mock drafts and you know, the communication you're having with teams and where you think you're going to go and throwing all these different scenarios out there and, and seeing what sticks. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, there was, you know, myself and Terrell Davis, you know, they kind of saw us, I guess, as one, two. And mm-hmm. um, once one went, the other would go. Um, and then uh, a gentleman by the name of Alex Singleton uh, became a Canadian about three days before the draft and threw all that for a loop. So uh, he's obviously one hell of a football player. Um yes great respect for the guy but definitely kind of threw off the linebacker position as a whole in our draft and uh you know once the draft came to be 
again, I thought I was going to go third, fourth round. Um, that's what, you know, speaking with agent, speaking with other teams, it's kind of where it had looked like. And I had dealt with a, a torn MCL for the majority of that year. So I only played three games and, you know, test fiddle the combine, but I knew the lack of true game tape was probably going to, you know, hurt me in some way, shape or form at some point in time. And right. uh, draft night came third round, fourth round, fifth round, seven linebackers later. I'm like, I don't even want to watch this anymore. Like Dwayne Ford, I still remember this. Dwayne Ford gave me a small shout out because I was a Western guy in his mind still. Oh, right. And, and I'm like, I'm on like Dwayne's, you know, top players available for like four rounds. And I'm like, just sitting there and I'm like, this is like, it's supposed to be a great night. I'm like, this is just terrible. Like, <laughs> awful like you know like my family like they're all yawning like right. a short a short night and a long celebration turned into just a long night of anxiety um obviously when edmonton called at the last pick i thought the draft was over actually no, no so this is awesome like undrafted sweet um and, and then edmonton calls and i remember it's ed hervey on the phone and he's like you got a chip on your shoulder and it's the first thing you said and i'm like oh, it's more than a chip i can tell you that much and he's like, well, like, we want you. We're surprised you're still here, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, we'd like to, you know, kind of pick you and, and get you going. And obviously, you know, you're filled with elation. Um, they just won a great cup. I was right. at the game. You know, you're like, hey, like, I'm I'm part of the best team in the CFL. And mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily matter how your opportunity comes, what round, what pick. It just matters what you do with the opportunity. And, you know, a, a team, an organization giving me the ability to have one foot in the door. Now I knew it was on me to, to kind of do the rest and um, went right out. I remember running sprints the next day. You know, again, you got that chip on your shoulder and speaking to Eddie Steele and Donnie, Donnie O and mm -hmm. a couple of guys I trained with. And they're like, hey, like, we got you, young buck. Like, follow our lead and, and you'll be all right. So it was a good position to land in. Um, great organization, great team. And obviously, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you get drafted. It, it matters what you do with the opportunity. So. Right. And then how did that training camp go for you? Um, it was going great, uh, playing linebacker, um, you know, learn, learning really quick. Again, you, you got a small taste in New York, so it wasn't all brand new, you know, following Eddie and Donnie around two big boys. Um, definitely happy. I, I could kind of lean on those guys if I had questions. Uh, Mondo Sewell, another guy that kind of took me in. Um, I was like the adopted D lineman, I think, you know, they all, I was like the young buck uh, that they all kind of took care of, but, uh, JC Sherritt was like a pro's pro. Um, I mean, I probably learned more in those two weeks playing linebacker than I'd learned in my entire life, just how to see things, how to read the game. Um, and yeah, it goes fast. I mean, 16-hour days goes by really fast, and it kind of all becomes a blur. And I remember uh, Cal McCarty and, and Mike, Mikey Miller both tear their hamstring like day five of camp. And classic CFL, you know, I'm the white Canadian CIS thread linebacker that yeah. is athletic enough to play fullback right so i remember jason moss coming and tapping me on the head and he's like hey we're down to no fullbacks and i'm like okay but why does that affect me yeah he's like uh i'm trying to yell at fullback after this practice i'm like oh my god right. like all right I'll throw on like again like bob molly days back in the day like i can do this i did it my entire life and i guess the trial went well um or well enough and the next day you know him and ed bring me in and they're like hey like we're gonna switch you over to to fullback uh we we need you there we need a canadian body and we think you can do it so now trying to experience the cfo for the first time 
you're just going through your first defensive playbook at that level. Mm-hmm. And now you get Jason Moss's offensive playbook of all possible playbooks to try and understand in the span of like two days before your first game. Oh, and I remember opening this book and there was 50 one word play calls that meant a play, a kill call and an, and an audible, like one audible that if Mike Riley could call if he wanted to. Okay. And I'm like, I don't even know like what the concepts are, what right. like, and now you're trying to, I have to remember 50 of them by like tomorrow's practice. Like this is nuts. And, uh, definitely an experience. Cal McCarty was like the big brother I needed there and kind of helped me through and teaching me how to cut block for the first time and going into a game and getting absolutely lit up on a, on an over, on an over route by Tyrone Brackenridge from Saskatchewan. Um, my ribs were like bruised as bruised gets after that. And, note to self don't turn backwards and open <laughs> self but um learned that the hard way uh, my i believe who was it i believe my first like cut block was against sean lemon okay so cool. i remember i'm sitting there like you know i'm basically sitting in the slot and i'm like hey sean lemon's over there playing weak side end i gotta come through and cut him mm-hmm. and i don't i think i must have missed him by like three yards by the time he moved like just terrible execution on my point and um Great experience. And they kept me on practice roster somehow, some way. Okay. I don't know. Definitely not good enough at fullback, but I think the Canadian special teams sure. can play both sides, whatever. Um, they kept me around. And it was a great experience, obviously playing pro. Um, didn't get the chance to dress, but being on PR and, and just living out your dream, right? And um, this is kind of the first step. And um, put my best foot forward there for about a month. And um, I remember it was like mid-July, um, so maybe just over a month. And I started having like these doubts, like, like, do I really want to be on the PR and like practice every day? And like, that's all I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Or like, do I really want to play fullback when like, clearly I, I didn't think I was that good at it. Um, you know, and like all these kind of things started coming up. And I remember there's like a June 16th deadline. Um, if I wanted to go back to school that I would have to enroll cause I had graduated early. Okay. So I actually had taken courses in like a full eight months. So I had to take six courses in the span of six weeks just to be eligible to play again next year. Oh, so, I remember having a call with Dolby and it's like, spur of the moment, I'm like, I think I'm going to come home. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, like, I don't want to be a fullback. I got more to prove. Like, didn't have a good year last year. I'm going to come home. I want to play linebacker. And of course, Dolby's like, okay. And, you know, it's getting on the phone with the academic advisors and enrolling in six classes and driving back from Edmonton. I got home at like four in the morning, was in class the next day at 830 and six weeks of absolute hell, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to be able to play, but that was, that was my Edmonton experience in a nutshell and, um, need, needed, definitely learned a lot, but, uh, I thought I had more in the tank and, and, and more to do, um, on the defensive side of the ball. Right. And that, you know, goes with your whole motto of betting on yourself, right? I, I love that about it, right? You had a, you had a, the instinct to do what you needed to do and you, you pulled the trigger and made that decision. Speaking on that, that returned year to the buys and you racked up a lot of stats yourself. You took a home, a uh, pretty huge accolade. Can you talk about that season and, and being uh, awarded the president's trophy? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think getting back again, like, you know, you're coming back from the CFL, um, you know, obviously some expectations are there, I think internally more than anything. Um, but actually started with Stan Pierre, you know, they're like, Hey, we're going to move you to Will. And for the first time in my entire career, to be honest, dating back to when I was seven years old, I was like, I'm finally in a position that I think I'm supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I'm only six feet, you know, 220, you know, playing middle and dealing with centers and guards and double teams and, 
and everything else, you know, not necessarily my forte. Um, being out in space and being able to, you know, do some of the pass game, rush off the edge, you know, play the run, you know, those are all things that I thought I could do well. And um, Stan put me in a great, great position to have success. Um, taught me a lot, you know, looking at one side of the ball and having Jada McCoy beside you never hurts either. And, um, you know, Mitch Harrison, those guys I was able to lean on. And um, coming back, it was just I had I had more to prove for myself than I did for anyone else. You know, I had been drafted. I wasn't worrying about what scouts had to say. I wasn't worried about who was watching. I wasn't worried about how I looked or what it felt like. I was just having fun playing football and, you know, putting my best foot forward for the first time in a long time. And, you know, playing that position, obviously, Stan Pierre knew a thing or two, and it worked out, you know, the way it was supposed to, I think, and um, had a great year. But just it's a kudos to the, you know, to the, to the program, you know, to the guys beside me, Mitch Harrison, Jada McCoy, I mean, two of the brightest people I've ever met. And when you play between those two guys, it makes your job a lot easier too. Um, so that was, that was awesome. Um, and then just having not necessarily the team success we wish we would have had, but just having that brotherhood of, you know, you're back. Like these are guys that you've been with for three, four years. And um, you want to, again, leave the program better than you found it. You know, you want to leave some sort of legacy and um, to be a, one of, I think only three Bisons to win that award. It was, it was a huge honor. And, um, again, it was a, as a program wide award for sure. Kicking off the third quarter with Montreal Alouettes linebacker, DJ LaLama. So DJ, over the years, since I've stopped playing way back when in 2004, I've had a number of, you know, former teammates and people that are close to me that were able to play in the CFL. So to be honest, I've never really had a CFL team, you know, being a Winnipeg guy, obviously I cheer for the Bombers, but um, especially kind of 2005 plus, I, you know, I like to just watch the guys that I know. And it's pretty cool to have multiple guys in the league that now that I've formerly coached, you being one of them, very cool, very uh, brings you know, the people that have been involved with you guys, a lot of joy to be able to watch you guys play in a, in a true professional game. So that's, you know, very cool. Talk about returning to Edmonton in 2017 and just, you know, how you ended up, ended up sign, uh, signing with Montreal leader in that year. Take us through that, uh, that process. Sure. Um, so actually the night I won the president's trophy, uh, was at an award a ceremony in Hamilton and no Quebec city. I, sorry. And I remember, uh, I remember getting a call from Ed Hervey, um, that night, and he's like, um, I guess you can play linebacker now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was really short and sweet, and um, it meant a lot. I mean, that's why I went back. I mean, the award was nice and everything else, but it was really to prove to everyone that I can play the position and do it well and, and at a high level. And um, to have kind of that affirmation there that night, um, both obviously tangibly through the award, but having Ed call and, you know, hey, like, we still have your rights. You're going to play linebacker for us. Like, we want you. Um, that, that in a nutshell is is why I bet on myself and, and why I wanted to go back from from the jump. So um, that was that was uh, super special to hear. And um, going back to Edmonton, it was we were going to have a Canadian in the position. Uh, competed really well, you know. Had had a good um, camp, you know. Was was doing the right things. And um, as you quickly find out in professional football, it's it's a numbers game. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was the odd man out. I was the last cut um kind of for them after camp and um it was tough you know I remember sitting there with uh coach Ralph and, and Ed and um it was it was a hard conversation um you know they said hey we're gonna cut you but 
you know, we might bring you back on the PR kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. And at that point, I was like, I just want to get home. You know, again, you're kind of getting in your head and you're like, all this work, like I just won player of the year and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still not good enough. And you start kind of having these little doubts kind of creep up on you. And um, I went home and was able to decompress a little bit and uh, actually attend my brother's graduation, which was, which was special in and of itself. And um, I remember, I think it was like eight days or nine days after my release, I had missed one, one week of the season. And, you know, uh, Kavis Reed had called me and said, Hey, I don't know why the heck you're a free agent right now, but we're changing that and um, flew out there, you know, was on practice roster for one week. Um, so I missed the the first week and then the second week and then played 16 games straight for Montreal. And um, obviously the majority on special teams got some defensive reps there near the end because we were not doing all that well and there were some injuries, but um, just feeling wanted, you know, going to a new city. Uh, Donnie O is actually out there. So funny enough, you know, he and I were hanging out again and, um, you know, just Chris Aki, like guys that are, you know, great friends of mine now, just being able to, to learn and compete at that level and, and finding a home, um, exploring a new city. I mean, so many positives out of, out of that 2017 and, um, you know, super thank or sorry, 2018, um, and just super thankful to, to be a part of it. Um, the record, it is what it is. Um, but you know, when we talk about the record and I guess, you know, like the cool part about Montreal for me is. Um, that first year in, in, in 2017 kind of felt like a bunch of like misfits, you know, like we weren't that good. It was, you know, kind of castaways or, you know, the Darian Durant's that no one wanted anymore, or, you know, Vernon Adams, who was like our fourth string quarterback and like just people that had been highly thought of at some point in their careers, but just had never made it. Um, and, you know, just being able to kind of continue to push forward with those guys and actually, uh, Vernon and I, to this day are still locker buddies. We sit next to each other and um, we were there the first year and, you know, going from a special team guy to, to him, you know, becoming the starter. Um, it just shows that there's going to be a ton of adversity, you know, and, and timing is really everything, especially at that level. And, um, you know, we're both in Montreal now. We choose to be there. Um, we could be other places, but mm-hmm. that all started back in 2017. And um, just, it, it's crazy kind of how it comes full circle. And then, unfortunately, in 2018, you suffer a pretty, uh, pretty big injury. You tore your labrum, need surgery. Can you talk about, you know, just going through that again? Another struggle, more adversity. It's a, it's a year off from football. How did you handle that? Yeah, so that was so heading into that training camp, um, they were expecting it to be like a, a all Canadian position. So myself, Enoch Mambo, we had signed in free agency, and then Chris Aki. Um, there was going to be the three of us patrolling the the two linebacker spots, and then I was essentially pegged to be the the thirty guy. So second down guy would come in and, and be that guy for us. And um, camp cramp was going great. Mickey Donovan, funny enough, how like pass cross, you know, he got hired as a special teams coordinator. So you know, now I'm one of his guys, I guess, on special teams and um, things are going extremely well. And yeah, we're having an inner squad game, blow my shoulder out, labrum, uh, posterior capsule. I mean, my shoulder is just there. I mean, nothing's attaching it to my body other than the skin at that point. And um, right away, I knew that I was in some trouble. Um, You know, called Pete McDonald uh, right away. And I was like, this is what's going on. This is the MRI. When can I get surgery if you can do it? And I remember it was like a Saturday and he's like, if you can get home by Monday for your pre-op, we'll, we'll get you in on Tuesday. Oh, wow. And I remember I'm like, okay, like sounds good to me. Um, so I chose to go home. I figured me being stuck in a, you know, 
55 floor building by myself probably wasn't the best thing with only one arm so i uh, came home and uh, i got the surgery and then eight days after surgery um they actually i basically had like a mini heart attack and uh they found a blood clot uh in my right lung um which i mean i guess according to the doctor you know nine out of ten people that they see in that condition don't make it um, so that for me actually really put everything to perspective. Obviously it changed from focusing on a shoulder to kind of health and life as a whole. Um, and at that point, football really, really wasn't on my mind. I'll be honest. Um, it was, Hey, like this is a condition I never knew I had. Thank God Pete McDonald was there to basically save my life and, um, you know, put me on blood thinners and, and diagnose this thing before it was too late. Um, and, and again, yeah, football took the back seat and, um, a f- few months went by and I think that was early June. So let's say like mid August rolls around and I get a call from Stacy Dannard and he's like, Hey, you know, you're staying home. I said, yes. He's like, we'd love for you to come out and coach, you know, and, and work with Parksy and, and, you know, be the linebacker coach here for us. And, um, you know, I found it as a way to stay engaged, you know, stay involved in the game. And, um, that was honestly just a great experience, you know, coaching Nick Pereira, uh, Kadanji, Nathan Karapatsakis. I mean, it's a great group of three guys that I was able to work with on a day-to-day basis and, you know, learn from Coach Parks. And you see the game through a different lens. You know, I know you can attest to this now. And um, even as a coach, they're not playing. The game was able to slow down for me, um, just seeing it through a different lens. And um, a lot of fun being around those guys. And really my first time being actively involved in St. Paul's because I would always be playing when they play. Right. Um, so that was really unique and special. And, um, you know, obviously as the months went along, rehab became more and more important and, um, you know, just wanted to put myself in a position where I could come back to play football if I was deemed, you know, physically fit to do so. Um, a couple of hematologists here in the city would probably argue against me playing football even now, but, um, once Pete kind of signed off on it, it was like, all right, I'm back. Like, you know, let's see what's out there. So after that, you are signed by hometown Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I want to know what the experience was of just being a Winnipeg guy to put on the bomber uniform, to be at a home game with the crowd. Like, what was that experience like? Yeah, I'm going to take you back even to the day I got signed. I remember literally the day after Pete McDonald had cleared me to play football again. Um, And, you know, he's a surgeon for the Bombers too, so I don't know how much he was doing behind the scenes there. But um, I get a call from my agent. He's like, Kyle wants to sign you. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, it, again, it was surreal. Like, mm-hmm. you don't actually think that call is going to come. And again, being out of the game for a year, you're like, hell yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, what do you mean? Right. And, I, and I didn't really think about it as a football thing. I was like, emotionally, yes, I'm going to play. I want to be a bomber. I want to stay home. Um, obviously, good friends of mine. I mean, Dembski, Andrew, those guys, mm-hmm. they're all there. And I'm like, hey, let's put on for the city. Let's let's be a part of something special. And um, just super exciting to get started. And you know, once camp came around, dealt with another little groin injury there during camp and you're trying to fight through it and, you know, you play in a preseason game, you make the squad, you make the team and, again, you're the new guy. Like, I think there was like one of like three new players on the team from the previous year and I happen to be one of them, um, which is a blessing and a, and a curse kind of in and of its own because you're the guys the coaches don't know. Right. And, right. you know, so my playing time was limited. It was just special teams. Um, you know, I think it was three of the four special team units. So, wasn't playing as much as I thought I could play and, and contribute, but nonetheless, like walking out there and running through that tunnel and, and seeing your family and friends and people that have helped you kind of get to where you're at. Um, to me, it was like, 
again, dealing with the injury and, and the blood clot and, and everything else, I'm like, this is just the cherry on top of it all. You know, I'm not really supposed to be here. I probably shouldn't be here, um, but I'm going to enjoy it. And, you know, just having that locker room, um, Coach O'Shea does a great job. Like, honestly, like it's, it's phenomenal just what he does in terms of his presence. And um, obviously, Canadian guy, some, some long chats over bonfires just about his experiences in the game and just a great group of people. And doing it in your hometown, um, there's nothing really that you can replicate it. Like, it's just, it's one of a kind experience. And um, obviously, it didn't end the way I wanted it to. Um, you know, dealing with FaceTimes on Grey Cup from the locker room with Demmer and, and Drew and all those guys, it's, uh, it's a little bittersweet. And right. don't get me wrong, there's definitely been some like, hey, what if? So maybe I should have just stuck it out. But mm-hmm. on a personal note, for my career, I mean, you have such a finite window to maximize, you know, your career and, and your potential. And um, as fun as it was, as, as meaningful as it was to put on that jersey, um, I felt like I could do more and, and I had a really unique opportunity to, to do more somewhere else. So then you end up signing with Montreal and uh, playing with, with the Owls for the back half of the year. You uh, get a lot of playing time. You get a couple starts. You know, you're – you're doing what you want to do. Talk talk about that that experience there. And signing with Montreal uh, two hours after I asked for my release wasn't necessarily how I had drawn it up. But again, Mickey was there. It was more or less the same coaching staff that was there when I had been there the year before. Uh, Kahari, you know, was the head coach there now. And, and again, someone I have the utmost respect for and wanted to play for. Um, so I head out there and uh, Coach Slowick, who, you know, won Super Bowls in the NFL um, as a DC and I get out there and it's Enoch and Chris again. I'm like, Hey, it's like the three of us again, like we're doing this thing. And, um, right away you become the 30 guy, which already I'm like, you know, I, I literally signed with them on a Thursday and played a game in Calgary with them on Saturday and took reps on defense. And it was like, what a crazy whirlwind of, of emotions. And, um, just having someone put faith in you, you know, not having a passport be the reason why you're not playing or, you know, have, having, the right timing, the right staff, the right people around you so that you can play and you can contribute. And um, football became really fun again Um, for me, obviously playing with those two guys. I mean, two great Canadian players in and of their own right. And uh, Enoch being one of the best, I think, role models any Canadian player on that side of the ball can have, you know, over the last 10, 15 years is it was great to learn from, you know, firsthand and it made me better. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, they, they wanted to give some of those guys uh, a couple of breathers there down the stretch and was able to capitalize on some starts and uh, win player of the week in the, in the CFL. Yeah. And again, for me, it was, I knew I could do this deep down. Um, sometimes you just need an opportunity and as much as you want to create those for yourself, it doesn't always happen that way. Um, so by going elsewhere, by putting myself in maybe a better position personally, I was able to ultimately contribute um, the way I felt like I could uh, to a team and to an organization. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you talk about kind of the numbers game and the passport issue because previous episodes I've obviously had Andrew Buckley, Michael O'Connor on. I asked them specifically just being Canadian quarterbacks about the stigma of that. Obviously, we always hear about, you know, that obviously there's not, <laughs> those are few guys that are in the CFL that are Canadian quarterbacks. So, you know, what's it like? 
and you know the you know, both of them had have had different uh different opinions and different experiences with that but uh it's interesting for you to talk about that as not a quarterback as a linebacker even and how that affects whether you play or the opportunity and how they see where the canadian spots are and how that all unfolds right so there's a lot to unpack there um but obviously, right, we're, you know, present date now, we've been through a pandemic that started in 2020, um, no season last year, you know, what did you do to adjust to no football? Like, what, what did you do with your life? Sure. I mean, honestly, I, I stayed involved in football. Um, you know, we were kind of having weekly calls there with, with Enoch and, and Vernon and, and just like staying up to parks. We always thought we were playing. Um, so it was like, stay ready, stay fit, stay mentally ready. Um, and, and Vernon, you know, speaking to the guy earlier, but him and Enoch did a great job on kind of making sure we were all stirring the boat the right way. Um, you know, when we press play on the season that we thought we were having, we'd be ready to follow up a good 2019. And um, I think that speaks to, I don't want to give the quarterbacks too much credit, but speaks to what a great leader and, and a role model that position can be for any team. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but for us, it was just classic, you know, you know, you got to evolve, you got to adapt and you got to overcome. And, you know, where we're really kind of showing through. I mean, yeah, I have a full-time job at BodyLogix. So that's a blessing. Um, you know, just having full-time work in a, in a time where not a lot of people have that same opportunity. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was, I love sports. I, I want to get back involved. And Andrew and I, uh, Andrew Harris and I saw an opportunity to fill a void uh, with a flag football league that, again, wasn't uh, polished or, you know, wasn't really planned out. It was how the heck would we have got through high school without having football? And that's what some of these kids are going to have to do here, given the pandemic. So came together, figured it out really uh, quickly and put together a, a flag football league that definitely kept us busy and kept us on our toes. And um, great experience, just seeing the raw emotion on these kids' faces. And I mean, we were having like 250 parents out at night at Dakota just to watch football. And we're like, this is, this is crazy. Um, like this is pretty special. And, um, obviously kind of segue that into our partnership to kind of building on that success and just trying to give athletes an opportunity and, and give them value at a time where a lot has been taken away. Um, you know, everyone that's been on this podcast before, everyone that will follow, I mean, sport has brought us together. We all understand the power of it. We all understand the impact it can have in a positive way. And um, Andrew and I thought as, as Winnipeggers, as, as guys that are fortunate to have made it, um, to give back to, to the grassroots level that gave so much to us. So um, staying involved with Pro Prep, all of its different services, offerings, etc. I mean, that's what kept me busy and, and kept me excited to get up every day, you know, while you train for football whenever it's supposed to come back. A little nugget here that you probably weren't aware of, but uh, you actually saved my bacon here because there was a lot of people late in the fall after I'd ran my uh, – my elites camp that were kind of like, Hey, geez, like, why don't you try and start like a flag league? Why don't you try and do something through big air? So I was actually kind of in the preliminary works of it, but honestly it wasn't something that I really wanted to do. And I knew how much work, you know, was involved. And then all of a sudden you guys showed up and I was like, hell yeah, now I don't have to do this. So it was fantastic. No, but uh, you provided an awesome opportunity for a lot of players that I get to work with. Now we're working with them collectively, but uh you know, you're right. You were able to fill a void, which I think was huge and super important for the players that weren't able to play. Back at it for the fourth quarter with Coach Gies and DJ Lalama. 
So, buddy, we've already kind of talked about it a little bit, but uh, I was able to partner with you guys, Big Air Academy and Pro Prep Academy. We uh, just, you know, kind of finished our first camp together you know, a little bit ago before the, the new restrictions and all that. But um, working with you guys has been an awesome opportunity. And what I like the most is that you guys are super passionate and super driven. And I'm very like-minded. I'm always kind of on the go. I'm always looking what's next. Um, I kind of don't stop. Other people would think of, of it as maybe a personal flaw that football is always on my mind. Um, one thing about working with you guys is like, I look at it differently. I'm like, you know what? These guys are like me. They want to keep going. They want to keep pushing. They want to keep growing. So I really love that about you guys. I think that that's super important. Not only me have you partnered with in Big Air Academy, but you've got a, a lot of other people. You're creating a 360 development outlook. Can you talk about some of the other partnerships that you've uh, been able to create and, and work with? And big shout out to you as well. I mean, that was a great first camp. I think that we were able to put together and um, big thanks to everyone that was involved to, to make it happen. But yeah, I mean, Pro Prep, it really came out of, you know, Andrew and I both have different experiences coming through the, call it the student athlete pipeline here in Winnipeg and um, some good, some bad, some, some things that are done really well and, and others where there's definite voids and, and they need filling to create a, a true and you know nurturing environment for for student athletes and i think first and foremost is just looking at the person as a whole i think secondly it's as we talked about early on right it's the student first um and then the athlete kind of almost third right person student and then athlete and um i don't think it's always viewed that way here um so andrew and i i mean put together an, an amazing group of people um i wouldn't even call it a staff it's just a great group of people common goals common interests um, that we all share a vision, a passion, as you alluded to, um, to make things better and, and to do our small part in, in making kind of that bigger puzzle work. And it's not about ego. It's not about, you know, my idea, your idea, their idea. It's about, you know, the, the, the kids. It's about their experience. I mean, we only have one life. We only have one opportunity to live it out to its fullest. And um, I think by coming together as one, we're stronger in numbers and we're stronger together than we ever could be on our own. And, you know, whether it's our medical staff, whether it's our nutritionist team, whether it's um, our other football coaches, um, everyone brings something special to the table. Um, everyone is an expert in their own field, in their own position. And, you know, I've always said, and, and Andrew and I, hey, if we're the dumbest people in the room, we're doing something right. And, you know, not that we like to call ourselves dumb, but I think looking at our roster now that we've assembled, um, just in terms of pure people, I mean, uh, I could go on and on. I mean, that's a podcast in and of itself about, you know, the expertise, the acumen, the accolades, um, where all these people come from. But um, it's just an amazing group to be to, to be there to, to serve the next generation of athletes as they make their way through. And in terms of our first camp that we just ran, we had a lot of positive feedback and, you know, the... The interactions with the players is very positive. Can you speak on that? Yeah, I mean, it was, like you said, it was positive. Um, I think, again, just adding value. I mean, wasn't easy, right? Practice planning and dealing with COVID and all the different restrictions and, and everything else. It's not necessarily fun. It's the tedious work that kind of goes on unnoticed behind the scenes. Um, but it allows us to do our job and, and give the most of ourselves and, and our programs to the kids. And, you know, I think just come together and again, I mean, you're, you're the offensive guru, you know, Chris does a great job at wide receiver. I mean, finding Andy and Shaq at D line and yeah. Brandon at O line. I mean, the list goes on on these coaches, um, you know, Brett McFarland, Sean O, Jason Park, like so many qualified people that had taught us 
you know, growing up or had coached with you or, you know, had their hand in some way, shape or form in this community and being able to all come together for the common good and, and pressing play on something that we're all passionate about. It didn't really feel like work, right? It just felt like a fun atmosphere to be a part of and something that, again, um, I'm getting tired of using the COVID curveball analogy, but, you know, if that hadn't happened, I mean, who knows what phase two looks like? Right. You know, it's so much positivity, so much learning, so much growth, um, good people, you know, accountable, disciplined, you know, work hard. Like there's so many tangibles there that I think we all wish we had on a day to day. Right. And um, they're hard things to come by. But when there's a great group of people um, all pushing for the same cause, uh, it makes things a lot more enjoyable and it, it allows kind of our dreams and, um, you know, our vision to come to reality. Yeah. And that's so true, man, is that, you know, being out there often, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I wish there was something like this when I played, right? Like to be able to provide what we're providing for the, for the players. And it's just a positive environment with quality people, like you said, and it's, it's about football, right? It's about, there's no nonsense. There's no garbage. It's strictly you're out there to get better and we're going to help you get better. Right? How about the CFL delay right now? So you're, you know, still on pause waiting to see if you're going to play. Uh, potentially they're talking August as a, as a start date. I know that's kind of tentative as well. Do you have any insight on really what's going on and, you know, the roadblocks that are the CFL is facing? I, I wish I had a crystal ball. I think we all do. Anybody that cares about football in this country, um, I think we all wish we we kind of knew what was going on. But, you know, for us, it's we're the players. I mean, we know there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Some we wish we had answers to and, and some we just – it's not our business. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, this is a way that a lot of us provide for our families. Um, this is a passion, obviously, first and foremost, and we just simply miss the game of football. Um, and, I mean, we're, as players, doing everything we can, one, to stay ready for, for when our numbers are called and, and when we're told, hey, like, it's safe to do so. Um, but I think on the flip side, we also understand that this is a business. And sometimes there's politics that come in the way. Sometimes there's finances that come in the way. And, um, we're not necessarily privy to all that information, nor um, are we necessarily uh, at the position where we deserve to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, just speaking on our players across the league is we want to play football. Um, we miss it. You know, we know fans miss it. We know this country misses it. Um, and whatever we need to do to put ourselves in a safe, um, you know, environment to play, that, that's what we want to do. And we've never wavered from that. You know, whatever the media says or what have you, um, we want to play football and, and we're willing to make that happen. And, and hopefully the other side, um, you know, the league uh, agrees with that and, and they want to play just as bad as we do. And I guess uh, when that all comes together, it's is it safe? You know, can can we have people in the stands? Can we, you know, put together a product that uh, isn't going to cause a stir uh, for, for health and public authorities here moving forward? Hopefully we'll we'll push the vaccines and kind of get things back rolling. Like you know, that's that's what really needs to happen. Because you're right, we need the butts in the seats so you you guys can play. I really hope that you're able to play this year. Speaking of the financial component, there's talk of this XFL merger, whether that's you know coming down the road or what. What do you have any thoughts about that? That's a tough one. Um, again, it's you're you're kind of making own assumptions or conclusions based on very little facts, right? And right. Um, not something I often want to do, but for the sake of the conversation, I mean, I think anytime there's opportunity to grow the game of football, um, I think anytime there's opportunity to, you know, provide more opportunity for players, coaches, um, you know, staff within the organization, 
um, that's all positive, right? Anytime you can grow something, get creative and, and expand is, is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what that means for the Canadiana within the game, that's where, again, it's, it's way too early for me to really point my finger on something and say, hey, like, I want it to be this way. I mean, look, if there's no ratio, I'm probably not playing professional football. You know, I know if you asked Andrew Harris the same question, mm-hmm. you know, he's probably telling you the same answer. And I think 99.9% of the Canadians in this league would say the same thing. And I think it's really important for the fabric of this country, you know, um, not only from a, a social and entertainment standpoint, but from a grassroots level of football. I mean, yeah. you're talking about the reason why so many kids get involved in the game in the first place is, in my case, you know, seeing the Charles Roberts and the Mike Sellers and the Kahari Jones and seeing those guys day to day, you know, Baron Simpsons and, and whatnot, you know, playing ball, you're like, I want to be like that, right? They become kind of your role models. And um, if you take that away from Canadian kids, particularly, not to say the sport dies, but it becomes a lot less um, realistic, I guess, or, yeah. or in their mind, you know, um, attainable, you know, for them to achieve that same height. And um, obviously that can become a very slippery slope, but you know, I hope that they just they keep the game. It's a special game. Three downs. It's in my opinion, it's a great form of football. Yeah. Uh, the Canadian part. I mean, we've proven that we can play at a high level. Sometimes you just need that opportunity. And I mean, you have to look no further than Andrew. Mm-hmm. You take the passport away, it really doesn't matter. You know, he's he's one of the best of all time, and um, there's a many other that would fit in that same boat. So for that purpose, I hope we stick with somewhat of uh, a CFL framework. Um, But I'm open to any opportunity to, to grow the game, you know, grow, grow the, um, you know, the, the the money that can be had amongst owners, players, you know, organization, staff, medical, whatever. um, If that means a a better future for, for kids and and for the game itself. Kind of pointed out about just being a young kid. Let's say we do merge and there's an XFL and there's no Canadian ratio and, you know, 99% of the players are American. Interesting, because Andrew Buckley kind of said the same thing last week to me, was that if you're that young kid, do you think, like, is it attainable to you? Like, does it become a goal? Does it become a dream? Like, you were able to attend Winnipeg Blue Bomber games in person to see those guys live, right? Like, not just watch them on TV. Being in the community, you get to meet those guys. Like, there's so many experiences through the game. Um, Yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you. I also think that, like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen financially with the league, but if we had to have more Canadians in the league, I actually think the league would be super strong. Like the the level of football at the U sport level now, when you're watching games, it's so exciting. Like the quality, the the level of play is all there. We've all grown up playing the game. Like you said, it's our game, and uh, you know, I just wish more Canadians got the opportunity. So I'm 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 a little worried about what's to come. But again, like you said, we don't know the details, so. No point in really stressing about it at this point. We'll see what happens. Um, So, Deej, we're at the end here, man. I want to ask you, who is your favorite player of all time and why? I'm going to go two. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. One on each each side of the ball. Um, I'll be honest. um, When I first started watching football, I mean, Ray Lewis, just the the motivation, the way he played the game, um, obviously an all-time great, but it just it went beyond that, right? It was the person he was, the motivation that he was, and um, really like a glue guy, right? Someone that you could kind of look at and, and lead by example, um, not only with his play, but how he was a leader. Um, so on the defensive side, I would have to say him. And um, first guy I really took a liking to 
playing locally, I mean, Charles Roberts, mm -hmm. um, you know, back in the day, I thought I was definitely a bigger version of Charles Roberts, um, slower, not as skilled, um, uh, probably more like Mike Sellers, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, Charles was just someone that obviously, I mean, you, you can attest to this. I mean, every time the guy touched the ball, it was, what's, what's he going to do with it? And, um, when you have a guy like that for your hometown team that makes it exciting, play in and play out, um, you know, you can throw Kahari in there too and, and those guys, but that group 2001, um, I was just getting into the game and, um, that's definitely a group that, uh, you know, just, it, it really made me want to get involved and it, and it showed what football can do from a community standpoint, showed what football can do on a personal note. I mean, Charles was just as part of, you know, our community as anybody, Canadian, American, it doesn't matter. And, yeah. um, I think that left a, a great impression for myself and, uh, you know, no Andrew Harris or nothing, but uh, it's it's definitely, you know, it came to full circle, right? Seeing a guy like Charles do it, he was your idol. You can kind of play in the same uniform as him. It, it means something. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned Charles Roberts. I'm thinking back to uh, to that season, 2001. Myself, Corey Hucklack, and uh, Jeremiah Robinson, who was a quarterback for Oak Park, uh, we went with our dads to the Labor Day game. And uh, that was kind of Charles Roberts's coming out party. He uh, he lit it up that day. I remember after the game, we ran on the field and people from Saskatchewan wanted to fight us and it was getting super intense. But I remember Charles Roberts, you know, obviously that was his big day and then, you know, all the all the years following. So that's a great, uh, you know, both him and Ray Lewis are great picks. Um, DJ, I want to thank you for being on today. Uh, it's been awesome to talk football and talk about, you know, football in our community and your story. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Absolutely, man. Always. Whenever I get to pick up the phone or I guess in this case, pick up Microsoft Teams and just chat ball, it's, uh, it's something you look forward to, especially now. Um, I always consider myself a semi-retired athlete now. It's been so long, but uh, coming, bringing back these memories and, and obviously looking forward to the future of the game here locally, it, it kind of gets you excited. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you again and the audience listening. Uh, we're growing every week and I appreciate everybody's support. Let's have a great night. Take care. Bye.